We welcome you this morning to the Lord's house. We want to come into His presence with joy and thanksgiving and a note of praise on our hearts. We all know the world is always seeking for some kind of satisfaction, what it will be that brings joy, a measure of happiness and peace. Well, we know that when we were in the world outside of Christ, nothing could satisfy. Everything turned to be empty and hopeless and worthless, and yet in Christ we find that He is the only true and real satisfaction. It's good to be reminded of that, of God's people, so that we are not drawn down into that current of seeking after those things to find our fulfillment there. No, none but Christ can satisfy. Number 443, We're starting with this hymn today as we lift our voices, standing pleased to sing.
Let's come to the Lord now, please, to bring our service to Him and to rejoice and to give thanks in our prayers and all He has done for us. And, of course, the greatest that we have everlasting satisfaction in Him, not any longer in those things that are fleeting, things that rust out, that wear out. No, the Lord and all He gives to us is forever and forever. Father, we bow our hearts today in Jesus' precious name. And Lord, we are thankful for the privilege and grace that You've given to us to come once more into Your house on another Lord's Day. At the beginning of our service, we pray for the Spirit of God to come and help us in our worship Lord, I pray that everything that would intrude upon this sacred hour would be shut out. The devil will not allow or be allowed to bring thoughts or thoughts of guilt, responsibilities, other issues. Let them all, Lord, be put aside for this time. And I pray, Father, that we will all, every believer, will come with true worship in our hearts. We will base all of our doctrine and teaching and practice upon the Holy Scriptures, and that from them, Lord, we will see constantly our Lord made known to us, that we will have a greater estimation, a greater appreciation for who He is, and all He has done for us. Lord, we are so unworthy, and yet we know that though reaching down to save so little by such a great cost, we have everlasting salvation, the joy of sins forgiven, the knowledge that we will never be in hell, but we have a seat already in heavenly places for us reserved, a mansion that Christ has prepared. O God, help us therefore to always keep the issues of life in perspective of eternity. Lord, don't allow us to be overwhelmed by our own small-minded thinking. Lord, lift us out and above these things, we pray. So come near to us this day. Bless us as we sing the praises of our great Redeemer. Bless us, Father, as we pray openly and in the heart and as we read the Word. Dear Father, we pray that blessing would be upon every family represented here. You would grant to us household salvation. We pray, Lord, for every spiritual burden, problem, concern. We're thankful, Lord, we can cast all our care upon the Savior, for He has promised to care for us. Lord, we are thankful today for Your hand upon our brother Alec. Thankful he's here with us today, bringing him through the surgery. Continue to heal uh, the bones, we pray, and bless Him. 
We pray for others who are sick and in the service today and those who are at home set aside, maybe in the hospital, whatever their case may be, Lord, come to their side, we pray. Come to bless them. We think of those who are grieving today the loss of loved ones. Bless them abundantly as well. And dear Father, give to all of us the joy and the peace and the strength of Christ. Help us to walk each day in the fellowship of our Lord and in the center, Father, of Your perfect will. So hear our prayers now. Continue to be with us. Bless us. For we ask all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Psalm 27b. The Psalms are at the back of our book if you're using the hymnal. And if not, the words are going to be on the screen. This is a psalm that, well, I don't know that we have sung it before. Uh, we are the, the tune we have is not one familiar to us. So I'm going to ask you to remain seated for a moment. Ask the instruments to play through two verses. You watch the words of verses 1 and 2, and uh, we'll get the tune in our minds. But pay vo- close attention to the words as we praise God in our hearts. very nice. I want you to continue on and play through the two more verses, and we'll watch verses 3 and 4, and then we will have a better idea, and we'll stand to sing. sing verses 1 and 4, lifting our voices to the Lord today. good and you did well and these words are very precious to us and we thank God 
for His holy Word. We're going to read in our Bibles now from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Mark 16, reading the first 13 verses. One thing that comes to light when we're thinking about the final chapter of the book of Mark, there has been raised much controversy over the verses that flow from verse 9 to the end of the chapter, as the modern translations of the Scripture have either not included them, or else they have put a note in the margin saying some of the earliest manuscripts do not contain them. And what manuscripts they're talking about are those, well, infamous manuscripts, Vaticanus, Sinaiticus, and Alexandrius. Well, those manuscripts that claim to be the oldest have many confusing and disagreeing verses within them, and they are not part of what is accepted as the received text of the New Testament that the Word of God, that the authorized version, is based on. And so, we heartily stand on the authority of these verses as part of God's inspired Word and canon, never minding what those who are the so-called enlightened thinkers of the day will put question marks over the Bible, this and other verses they do as well. We're thanking the Lord and the Spirit of God who has given to us His holy and precious Word that we can learn. Mark 16, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint Him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him, and they, as they mourned, and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, 
he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. The Lord bless His Word uh, to our hearts tonight. Later on in our service, we're going to be thinking about our Lord Jesus on the road to Emmaus and the events that occurred in the lives of the two that are simply noted here by one verse in Mark's Gospel. You will also notice that he mentions that the Lord appeared unto Mary Magdalene first because in the opening verse of Mark 16, well, he says that there were other women who came to the sepulcher as well. We commented last Lord's Day that as these different gospel writers are highlighting certain details, omitting other ones, they are putting together a composite picture which, as we compare all of their accounts, we will get the full understanding. And without the contradiction that some say the Scriptures have, we believe the Lord has given His Word with clarity. And if we think there is something that is amiss or something that is not quite right, it'd be better for us to go back to our studies and go back and investigate and learn again to see what the Lord has there for us. A warm word of welcome to everyone in our service today. We're very glad that you are here. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, maybe you've come back again. We want you to know you're very, very welcome in the Savior's name. And certainly those viewing our service online today, you're always welcome. And we hope that you will send us an email just that we would have a record of your visit with us and that we might pray for you in any way that you have need of. It's really good to have our brother Alec Newell with us today. We have been thinking about our brother who came through some surgery a week ago, and uh, he's not sitting with his wife and son today in the service, but he's out in the foyer as just sitting down on the pews. It's a bit difficult having that hip surgery. And so I have a note here from brother Alec, and he would like me to read it out to everyone Dear church family, I want to express my gratitude and appreciation for all the kindness shown to me during the time of being led aside due to my operation. I've been overwhelmed by the cards, visits, phone calls that I have received from you, and I've been very touched and moved by your thoughtfulness. Hebrews 6 verse 10 says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. By the grace of God and the prayers of God's people, I have come through the ordeal thus far, and by his grace and the prayers of the Lord's people, he will bring me to health and strength. It is such a blessing and privilege to be a part of this congregation. And signed, Brother Alec Newell. And of course, Alec is one of the elders in our congregation, and uh, we're thankful for God's hand upon him. We also extend the condolences of our congregation to Mrs. Lydia Bowman. She's the wife of Reverend Derek Bowman, who's the associate minister in Winston-Salem, our church there. And Lydia's dad passed away 
just a couple of days ago. He had been sick for a long time. He was not expected to live. Uh, he's been uh, for a year and a half now. He has gone past, oh, by at least a year from what the doctors had predicted. And he had cancer. Uh, but the Lord gave him much grace and help in the times that he was coming near the end. And uh, I know the family is much appreciating the prayers of God's people at this time. Please remember our ministry going on today at 5.50 this afternoon, this evening. We have our pre-service prayer time and our evening service at 6.30. Now, following the evening service tonight, we have our fellowship time downstairs, a little food and refreshment, and we hope that you'll be able to stay with us for that time. It's always enjoyable. We also want to meet with those who have come forward to be baptized. We'll meet tonight in the counseling room for a brief time, and uh, that'll be during the time of the fellowship. Well, this week is a busy one for us, and we are in full preparation mode uh, for our visitors of the presbytery, the elders and ministers who will be coming here, Lord willing, the following week. And we're looking forward this coming uh, Thursday, our brother Richard Craig from Jamaica will be arriving, and uh, he'll be speaking in the adult Bible class next week. And while we're thinking about that, we are going to be having an open session for our Sunday school in the main auditorium here for the boys and girls and for the young adult and adult classes. And so remember that, please, next Lord's Day morning. And then uh, brother Richard Craig will be doing a joint adult and youth Bible class next to Lord's Day, and we'll just be seated over here in this part of the church. And the reason for that is that downstairs is going to be in preparation, getting things set up for the different lunches and food preparations that will be going on the following week. So we will still be having our prayer meeting downstairs Wednesday of this week nonetheless. So, in, in light of that, Monday and Tuesday, that's tomorrow and Tuesday, we've set aside for some in-house cleaning of the church. Uh, the ladies are going to be organized doing that on Monday evening, and quite possibly you'll have it all completed on Monday. But we set aside two days, Monday and Tuesday, for the grounds in the event of us being completely washed out tomorrow night and maybe Tuesday. We are supposed to get some drizzling rain we want to go ahead for tomorrow night, if at all possible. You plan to come along, and we'll get as much work. You might want to bring yourself a raincoat and just to keep yourself a little dry. But these are important times, and we will be having some pizza refreshment tomorrow night, so you can come and just be prepared for that as you come to do some work around. You might want to bring your own rake or a shovel, something like that. Make sure you put your initials on them so you can take them home again. And they won't get mixed up and lost in the grounds that we have here. Wednesday evening is our prayer meeting, and this, of course, is an important one as we're thinking in preparation for the upcoming week of presbytery and prayer, and it will be the Sunday school teachers' prayer meeting as well this coming Wednesday and then our Lord's Day services. Well, I've already given you a little indication of what's happening in our Bible classes and the Sunday school opening. And in the morning service next Lord's Day, we're going to be having the Reverend Andrew Fitton. 
And this is the young man who is the newly elected minister for Cloverdale. He's going to join us for the Lord's Day services, and he's going to be preaching in the morning. And then uh, he's with us, of course, all week. And for our evening service, Brother Lalo Pena from Cordoba in Mexico is going to be arriving with his family on Friday, I believe it is. He'll be with us for the Lord's Day evening service, and he's going up to Barry in the morning. So we've got a lot of arrangements we've been endeavoring to make, to make full use of the visiting preachers who are going to be here. So these are important matters for prayer. We ask you to keep all of these details in. Sometimes my head is spinning in circles as trying to make sure we get all the arrangements of who's going to be speaking where and when and who and who's going to be picked up from the airport by what person. And we just hope that nobody's left standing at the curbside at Pearson and we don't forget anybody there. So thank you for your prayers and please keep on doing that as well. Well, we have a couple of advanced things, and uh, we've been telling you about that, our mid-congregation, mid-year prayer time, June 5, 6, and 7, with our baptismal service on June the 7th, and then we want to continue praying for our youth, our young adult Bible conference in the month of August. I've been communicating also with uh, Brother Andrew Simpson, the minister in Prince George, and he is slated to come. And we also have the good news that we have confirmation the Schultz family will be traveling, all of them, to come over here for the conference, doing some deputation, and that's in the summertime in August, that is, and also for a time of holiday. They were with us back in 2019, so we're looking forward to welcoming their family, and I know they would appreciate much prayer for them as well. Returning again, please, uh, to sing to the Lord's praise, number 148, number 148, and we will stand as we praise God with this
Turn, please, now with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. We're going to read from verse 13 of this portion of the Word of God. And behold, two of them went that same day, the resurrection day, to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know Him, And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another, as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hath not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted it had that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen also a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and He made as though He would have gone further But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. 
and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. The Lord bless His Word to our hearts this morning. Please, will you pray with me that the Lord will open His Word to our hearts. Father, we have now the Scripture open, and we pray for understanding and light. Father, I ask for help in speaking and delivering the Word of God faithfully, not with the power of human flesh, but, O God, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that the application of the Word would be given by the Spirit to all our hearts. Teach us, Lord, we pray. Draw near to us now and encourage our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the village of Emmaus is about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. Cleopas and an unnamed disciple were traveling to Emmaus. They were going in the wrong direction on Resurrection Day. Instead of abiding in Jerusalem with their brethren, well, they were making their way home. Their conversation, well, I would say it was not the normal chit-chat that sometimes goes on between people. They weren't just talking about the weather of the day. They weren't talking about the cost of olive oil in the market. They weren't talking about the, how they were negatively impacted by all that's going on in the world, and they had to concern themselves with their retirement portfolio. They weren't concerned about the Jerusalem warriors or the Emmaus eagles and how they were doing in the playoffs. No, none of those things were consuming their thoughts. They were concerned about one thing. They were talking about the events of Jerusalem and of the crucifixion of their Messiah. What did it all mean? How they were affected. And this question, what were they going to do now? Where were they going to go from this point forward? Sure, they're heading back to their home in Emmaus. What then? And as they walked, a stranger drew near to them. And in Mark 16, we're told that the Lord appeared to them in another form, and they did not recognize Him. After the Lord asked a few questions about their intense conversation and their sad countenance, He began to teach them about those very events 
that had so puzzled their minds. Now they stopped talking. Now they were listening very intently. Oh yes, they had said to this stranger, well, you must be someone who is not accustomed to what's going on in these events these days. You haven't heard about what's taken place. How that the Jews, our leaders, turned over our Messiah to be crucified, and He was crucified. We saw that. And then the Lord intervened. At a normal walking speed, 11 kilometers would take you about two and a half hours. So, for two and a half hours or so, they experienced the most precious teaching they had ever heard. In light of the most important event that had ever occurred in human history, there are precious lessons that we can learn and the truth to be reinforced upon these hearts of ours by such an unforgettable journey. These two followers of the Lord Jesus. And the question comes to us, must be asked, are you a follower of Christ yourself? Would you be one like Cleopas and this other disciple? They truly had met the Lord. They truly knew Him. And they were longing for clarity and understanding about the meaning of all these events. But it may be, friend, that you are not even at that first step yet. You're listening to the service online today, and you're you're outside of Christ. You don't know Him. You're not saved. Maybe you're a younger person in our church today, and you've never come to trust the Lord as your own Savior. Well, I say that today is the day of opportunity. It's a day of gospel grace. It's a day of the invitation to repent of your sin and call upon the only One who can save you from your sin. Believer, are we more interested sometimes in the world around us, in the finances, in the sports, in the entertainment, It's a good question to ask ourselves and not think, well, no, I'm not involved in all that stuff. I'm really seeking the Lord with all my being. Well, if you are, praise God for that. That's a good thing. But it's a silent question that is good to be turned to all of us. Where are my affections? Where is my attention? What do I involve myself in? What is the thing that is most important in my life? Well, these two followers of the Lord, they had some of these questions perhaps reinforced into their mind. And and I trust that as we look at this today, the account in Luke 24, that the Holy Spirit will take these things and apply them to our heart, as the Lord so gently does, doesn't He? He comes just to touch us in the heart at the point where maybe there's been something that has been unclear to us. Maybe there's been something that's been pulling us in one direction. Well, it's good when the Spirit comes 
to help us and to teach us. The first thought we have today is this. We're confronted with the Lord's rebuke for the unbelief and the lack of understanding of these two men. In verse 25, Then Jesus said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The word fools is a rather stark translation of the Greek word that we have here that means a lack of understanding. It's used in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1 where the Apostle Paul directed attention to the Galatians and he said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? How is it that you were deceived or that your understanding was confused? Well, that did happen to the Galatians. There were some false teachers that had come in. There were people that were teaching them things that were not in accordance to the general tenor and outlook and doctrinal truth of the Old Testament, and they were being taken aside. And the problem with the Galatians, they did not take the words of the teachers and compare them with the Bible that we're always exhorted to do and find out if it was truth or not. So Paul said, O foolish Galatians, or this, O Galatians of confused understanding, how have you been taken aside? It is also the word that Jesus used in Luke 24. It's different from other words that are translated fool in the New Testament in our English language. And that's one of the difficulties or challenges that every translator has when we have a particular English word that may cover a broad range of definitions for us. And so we would have the word fool that could mean someone who is um, an ignoramus, someone who is lacking in understanding, someone that might be off a little bit more. So that's a, a wider range. But when you investigate the different usages in the New Testament, it helps to bring it with some clarity. For example, in Matthew 5.22, the Lord Jesus used, or we have the word translated fool, when Jesus said that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whosoever shall say unto his brother Raka, that is, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. That's a different Greek word that is used there. It's the word moros, from which we get our word, you will recognize, moron. And the Greek word here means someone who is impious, someone who is godless, or we have the word foolish. So the Lord Jesus used a different word than we have here and the one He used in Luke 24. We have another example of the use of this word in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and he used a word for fool that meant beside our understanding or beside our mind. 
These are the words he said. He said, uh, are they, the apostles, ministers of Christ? He said, I speak as a fool, I more. So if a person is beside themselves, they are not thinking correctly, or they are seriously confused, or they might even, we would say, be not in their right mind. And that's how we have come across that term of when we say someone will be beside themselves. Paul uses that phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So in the Lord's rebuke to these disciples, it helps us to understand what was really being communicated. He was not calling them imbeciles. He was not saying to them that you are stupid men. But He was saying to them that you have a lack of understanding of the self-evident Scripture. He was in essence telling them, O you of small understanding, or O you who are ignorant without knowledge, as ones who should have believed, who had every opportunity and all the material to accept and believe what the prophets had spoken about Messiah. But the question comes, why did they not understand? And we don't exactly know the reason why they did not understand. It's not clear. We ask a few questions. Well, was it because of a basic lack of knowledge of the Bible? That's possible. They may not have been theologians. They may not have been those who were the scribes that studied day and night in those areas. Was it because they had a bias of interpreting some of the prophecies? That's a possibility. People come to the Bible, you know, with preconceived notions. They come to the Scriptures with something that they have been taught or heard before, and then they want to apply that to the Bible and make it say what they want that doctrine to communicate. Well, that's not the good way to come to the Scripture. And if that was what they were doing, if that influenced them, that was part of their problem. Another reason it could have been because of some bad upbringing or bad teaching or prejudice Maybe it was a combination of all of those things together. But whatever the reason, it's very clear that the Lord did not approve which brought this rebuke that He brought to them. Unbelief and ignorance of the Scripture, it is no light matter It's not enough for us to say, oh, I I just can't get my head around that. I just don't get that. I'm not even going to investigate that. When it comes to what the Lord has taught us about His Word and what is involved in the Scripture, and if those two men on the road to Emmaus receive such a rebuke from the Lord, being without understanding, slow of heart, to believe all the prophets have spoken, if The Lord said that to them. We are now 2,000 plus years later of all the writing 
and knowledge and information that we have. In other words, we don't have any excuses. Some people would say, well, I have no time. I'm so busy in the work I'm doing. So busy trying to make a living. I have no time for in-depth study of the Bible. I'm just an average Christian. I'm so bogged down with life and so bogged down with all of the issues that I have to do. I don't have any time for getting involved in all of the names and places and some of the Old Testament areas that are so difficult and so on. How am I to study the Bible when I hardly have time for the other things of life? And some of those other things, when we look at ourselves and say, social media, internet, TV, some of the other things that consume our time, well, we all then have to conclude that these are not good excuses to bring to the Lord on these matters. How important, we would ask, is the Bible to us? I remember when I was in theological training overseas, we had a visiting lecturer, and they were taking a class for about three or four weeks, one hour in the week. And they had made an assignment to all the students, theological students nonetheless, memorizing the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Beatitudes. You think, well, did you not learn those in Sunday school? You'd be surprised how many people would not know the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Beatitudes in order to recite them. So anyways, this was the assignment he gave to these theological students. And the next week, we came back. And he, he did tell us, he said, well now, I just want you to know that this will not be on your final exam, and the, this will not be part of your marks of your final, you know, uh, outcome. So the next week came. The papers were written, very poorly written, I might add, self-included. And uh, he said at the time, after he got them all in, and we had changed papers around, and everybody marked their own, everybody else's paper. And so when all the results came back in, uh, he read out the results, not the individual names. But he said, well, the class has failed this uh, exercise. But he said, but don't worry, they'll not be on your marks. And don't worry, it's only God's Word. And the class was silent. Everyone knew exactly what he had said. And it was a word to my own heart. I remember it well to this day. Because in the student mind, in the Christian mind, there are some things that are more important. And even if he had said, look, you're going to be challenged on this for your final exam. Your final mark is going to be, oh, people would have looked alive then and maybe put more effort in. But no, it didn't matter. It wasn't going to mean much. But it was only the Lord's Word. And sometimes, friends, I think that we are also guilty of that same sort of thinking. We have to be careful about that. And we have to review and examine our own approach to these things that we have known so well, that we have been brought up with from childhood, many of us. Let's pray 
that God will reinforce into our minds things that are the most important things, and that we will set our priorities. Make sure they take the first place, things that are of most importance, and not have an attitude, well, if I find the time, I will get to the things of God and the Bible reading. The Lord would say to us, Oh, fools! Oh, those of understanding that is lacking! The Lord would say, I've given you my word. It has the answer to every human situation. It has the answer to every challenge that you will face, to every battle and every trial. My promises I have given to you. And the more you know my word, the more you will know me and my way for your life. But you've elevated other things above these things, and therefore do not wonder why you are spinning your wheels while you are trying to run and you're not gaining ground. Don't be surprised about that because my word has been left a little bit on the side. But our Lord not only rebuked them for being without understanding, but He rebuked them by saying they were slow of heart. Slow of heart. They were slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. The things they did know about what the prophets said, they failed to believe. So here is now a case not just of a lack of understanding, but here is a problem with the application of what they knew. Their hearts were slow. Their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were... Well, let's just say they were distracted. Now, if we would say that faith is just believing what God says He will do, then why are we sometimes so slow to grasp the Word of God and take it to heart? They were slow of heart, which means they were dull or tardy to apprehend and believe what God had said to them in His Word. They obviously knew about the prophets. They knew Isaiah. They knew Jeremiah. They knew the Lamentations. They knew Daniel and Micah and Moses. They knew all those people's names. They knew them theoretically, even what they were teaching. But they did not know them practically and really. There was a disconnection between the head knowledge that they had and their heart belief. They were slow of heart. And what was the cause of this? Well, it might have been, as we mentioned already, some ignorance of the Bible. Maybe it was partly the distractions of life. Perhaps partly resistance to step out and believe the Word itself. Uh, they may have wanted to step out, but they said, well, if I do that, then what's going to happen now? What's the next step? 
And as we are so prone to do, we're trying to figure out the steps down the road before we say, Lord, I must obey the first step You're giving me to do. And so, the unbelief of these men was a sharp rebuke from the Lord because they had seen His miracles. They had witnessed and listened to what He had told them. They had heard His teaching. It may be that we have grown up with the Bible and we've grown up to become very familiar with the Sunday school stories. And they're known to us very well. The reality of the God who is behind all of those miraculous accounts that we learned. But our hearts are slow. We're, we don't have the, the zeal for God's truth. We are lethargic about His Word. At least, you know, the Lord did not say to them that their hearts were stubborn or that they were willfully resistant. No, that was not His criticism to them. And thank the Lord, I trust it's not God's criticism to us. That we are willfully resisting God. No, we don't want to do that. If we have to be guilty of something and say, Lord, yes, we confess that we have been slow of heart. We confess, Lord, that we have been lacking of understanding. Well, what are we to do? We pray that God would stir up our hearts. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come and bring the truth and the light of His Word out to the forefront to encourage our hearts and cause us to be excited with fervent desire to learn more of Him, to learn more of His ways. Yes, the Lord gave His rebuke at this time. But I want you to notice also the second thought today is this, that we learn from this portion. It is that all Scripture speaks of Christ. Look at verse 27. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. When we read through Psalm 40, the echo of Christ declaring that He is in the volume of the book, the Word of God, the Scriptures. And the volume of the Bible is written of Him. It's it's about the Lord Jesus, which is confirmed by the Apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews. And we feel in our hearts, when we come to a verse like that, we feel in our hearts a sense of firm confirmation that such a profound truth, it begins to bear fruit or to blossom with a reassuring confidence. The more that we mature in our faith and become more familiar with the Scripture, the more these things come alive to us as we see our Lord Jesus revealed in the Word of the Lord. The Scripture must be studied 
with the person and work of Christ as the center. And when it is investigated in a threefold manner, when we investigate the Scriptures with the microscopic view, we're looking into the minute details of the Word. We want to mine from the Scripture the things that are brought out of who the Lord is and what He has done for us. And our Lord Jesus is there. But then, of course, we have the the natural eyesight view. It's seeing things in, we could say, real time. We're looking at the Bible. We're looking at the work of Christ and seeing how He is active and moving in our own life here and now. There's the microscopic view, the natural eyesight view, we could say. And then there is the telescopic view of faith. And we look from the telescopic view, even from the Old Testament vantage point of those prophecies, as they were looking forward to Calvary. They were looking forward to what the Lord was predicted to do. And perhaps the disciples who were there on that Emmaus road, as the Lord spoke to them in their sort of common approach to the events that occurred. You see, they were stating those things. Yes, the chief priests, they took them. The high priest, they were involved. The scribes were involved. The Romans were involved. They crucified the Lord. Some women, by the way, they were at the sepulcher. They said the Lord was... And they came back and told the disciples, but nobody believed them. And it was all a matter of setting out the facts. They were all there. But they didn't. They didn't put them into a spiritual dimension of what it really meant to them. And that's, friends, where as we come to the Lord's Word, we need the help of the Spirit of God to teach us those things and to show us from the minute investigation, from the telescopic view, and from our everyday natural eyesight. You see, when we consider the Bible and the Scripture from this vantage point, it is called a Christological perspective of the Bible. I want want to read you something from Mr. Ryle that he wrote on this very point. He said, Christ was the substance of every Old Testament sacrifice ordained in the law of Moses, Christ was the true deliverer and king of whom all the judges and deliverers in Jewish history were types. Christ was the coming prophet, greater than Moses, whose glorious advent filled the pages of prophets. Christ was the true seed of the woman who was to bruise the serpent's head, the true seed in whom all nations were to be blessed, the true Shiloh, to whom all the people would be gathered, the true scapegoat, the true brazen serpent, the true lamb to which every daily offering pointed, the true high priest, of whom every descendant of Aaron was a figure. And he said the key of the Bible knowledge is Jesus Christ. And so, friends, when this is omitted 
from our lives. And sadly, it is by some preachers, teachers, scholars who look at the Bible from a moral or practical guide to answer maybe the issues of the origin of things, they miss the central theme. They miss out where God has purposed that all kingdoms and worlds and empires and peoples, governments, they all provide a scaffolding for the work that Jesus Christ has come to do and who He is. It's the only begotten Son of God. That's what it's all about. It's all about Him. And we must have the Lord Jesus in the preeminent place in our view beyond all things. You see, He is, he is the fulcrum. He is the focal point of all and that Christ's suffering is there. Look at what the Lord Jesus said in verse 26. The first thing He said to them, ought not Christ to have suffered these things? This is a very important statement that Jesus made. He is presenting it back to them by way of a question. He's saying to them, do you not know that this was the absolute necessary outcome that Christ the Messiah had to suffer? Yes, His suffering was necessary. The suffering of the Lord, there was no other answer. There was no other way. There was no other plan to have redemption accomplished but by the suffering of Christ. And Jesus asked the question, ought not Christ to have suffered? Of course, the answer is, Christ must suffer in order to redeem. In order that the wrath of God would be appeased for this man's sin. All who are under the condemnation of God because of sin God's judgment hangs over every human being. And in order for that wrath or judgment to be set aside or removed, it could not just be forgotten about. God's judgment against sin must be satisfied. And that wrath, that satisfaction for sin came upon the Lord Jesus Christ, ought He not to have suffered? The suffering of Christ was absolutely necessary in order to make that atonement for our sin. Yes, Christ absorbed all of the wrath of God for us, but in that absorbing of that wrath, in the taking of it in a totality, He made atonement he paid and appeased all the sins of the people that He died for. Yes, the suffering of Christ was necessary in order to apply the merit and the benefit of all His perfect righteousness. And so, not only did the Lord take my sin upon Him, 
But He transferred His righteousness to me. And He gave that to me. And I now am standing under the benefit of all His merit. Of all the value of His glorious sacrifice. His perfect life. Yes, friends. And now, the suffering of Christ was necessary in order for Jesus to appear before the Father on my behalf. He presents the value eternally of His sacrifice before the Father. His suffering was necessary. But look what else the Lord Jesus said in verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, by His suffering, would enter into His glorious, eternal, and everlasting existence as the God-man appearing for us. The Son of God left the glory of heaven to become a man. But friends, it was much more than that. When we read that Christ said, I am a worm and no man. So did He humble Himself. So great was His humiliation. I wonder, friend, has this, has this thought settled into your heart that Christ became a worm and no man for us? In order for Him to receive the glory of the risen God-man, He must suffer. He who thought it not robbery to be equal with God made Himself of no reputation. He took upon Himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, you and I are not obedient unto death. If we had a choice, we would never die. But we don't have a choice in that because we are going to die. And we don't have to make ourselves obedient to it. It's going to come. It's going to happen. But not so with Christ. For He gave up His life. He surrendered His life and gave up the ghost, the Spirit, that He would die. But He didn't die for righteous people. He died for sinners and rebels and God-haters like you and I, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, Yes, our Lord said, I am He that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He must die. He must rise again. And He must be glorified. For it cannot be any other way. 
Therefore, friends, be not mindless about these matters. Be not lacking in understanding. And oh, let us not be slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken about the Redeemer, about the the Savior, about the Lamb of God, about the King of kings and Lord of lords. And friend, if you're here today without Christ, then I plead with you that you will come to Him in repentance and faith, and you would call out, Lord, save me, I perish. For God has so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the truth of the gospel message. This is the glorious evangel message and truth. And I pray that the Lord would work in your heart today. And believer, let us all say, Lord, we need your help. We need the Spirit's power. We need that zeal and enthusiasm by God's grace to come to the Scriptures and open our understanding. And we pray, Lord, for that light and that truth to come to these hearts of ours. Let's bow, please, in prayer. Father, we all have to take our place with those two disciples on the road. Lord, we know our weaknesses. But we pray, Lord, today that we will take this loving rebuke from our Lord and the Spirit will apply it to us. And we will say, Lord, create in us a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. Create a greater zeal for Your things. And that the Word of God will be alive. And that we will see our Lord Jesus more fully on every page of Holy Scripture. Lord, hear our prayer today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our our service this morning by singing number 640, Abide with me, fast falls the even tide. Let's stand please to sing.
hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. The final verse. Father, we are thankful this day for the promise of the abiding presence of our Lord Jesus with us for time and for all eternity. And Lord, we are asking that we will walk close with our Savior day by day, and that more of Him will be seen, and that our hearts will be filled with praise and with rejoicing, with great joy. Part us, Lord, now we pray in your fear, with that precious blessing. And bring us back again to your house tonight. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.